I guess we should start with the reviews from last week's albums. I've listened to quite a bit of the White Buffalo stuff. Really? But, uh, yeah. Um, mostly because of Sense of Anarchy is where I first... Me too. Um, but that particular EP, the song that resonated with me the most was um, actually Black and Blue. Um... That song reminds me of certain relationships I've been in, where he just starts up with "Pack up your shit, we're through." Prepare <laughs> for black and blue. Yeah, the only song I didn't really care for was Jameson? "Oh Darling." No, really? "Oh Darling." Oh, dude, he, I murder that in karaoke. He just says the word "darling" too many fucking times. I know, but it sounds so good. It, it sounds so close to. I expect him to say Clementine afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I never ever would have thought that, but <laughs> I, okay, to fair, fair enough. It's a good EP. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion behind it, and you can tell there was a story there. I really enjoyed it overall. It was definitely an enjoyable album. What were your thoughts on Colma? I will give five stars. I've listened to that album, uh, I think, two or three times now. I listened to it this morning. Uh, right before I started running, I actually, it was a beautiful morning. Not a beautiful morning. It was a gray, cloudy, kind of mo overcast morning. But it's beautiful as far as, like, the ground was nice and dry and, and moist, and it was cool. And I I kind of got into, um, when I got up to the hill, I was trying to catch myself. Like, I was still a little high and would just kind of, <sighs> and I I sat down, crisscross applesauce, put my earbuds in, and I put that album on, and I just kind of sat with my eyes closed, concentrating on my breathing. That may be a perfect album for meditating. Yeah, I, um, I can see myself using that album exactly how I used it this morning many times over. It, it, there's a, a, almost, almost every track on the album is just very calming and peaceful, and I, I love that. I love shit like that. Yeah. Very he, has a lot, he has a lot of albums like that, and there's certain ones that you can't get on Spotify. Like, he did one when his mother died called Hold Me Forever. And then he did another one called uh, When His Dad Died called Heaven Is Your Home Now. And both of those will just make you want to cry. They're just phenomenal albums. The cover, it, it, it's, 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 it's funny to me. Because you hear the music, and it is... I'm not going to deny Buckethead is a prolific musician. I'll never say... He's not my cup of tea on a lot of things, but neither is a lot of the things I listen to for a lot of people. And that's okay. But Coma, I genuinely fucking enjoyed. And, and, and every time I bring it up on Spotify and see the cover with, like, the white mask and the fucking chicken bucket on the head, I'm like... This album doesn't sound like it should have that cover. It just does not sound like it should have that cover, man. That cover looks like something you'd hear on like a hardcore metal album cover. The thing about Buckethead is I think if you listen to more of his stuff, you would actually like a lot more of his stuff than you'd think. Um, because he is so... With over 400 albums at this point, you've got every type of music you can imagine. Um, whether it be funk, whether it be electro pop whether it be 
an album of him just making his guitar sound like lasers and playing Star Wars music. You know, he's just a weird dude who's really into horror movies and doesn't want to be famous. You know, he so he created this whole mythos about being raised by chickens. I don't know why the fuck he chose that, but he did. To the point where when he was working with Guns N' Roses, they literally built him a chicken coop in the studio and he recorded his parts from the chicken coop. I find that very, very cool and very fun. At the same time, you gave me shit about Insane Clown Posse. Yeah. I'm still trying to rectify that, but... Well, here's how you rectify it. One has massive, undeniable talent, and one's insane clown posse. Okay, here's my <laughs> argument for that. You could deny and say the difference is one person's arguably talented, um, but I would argue to say that insane clown posse not only does have to like I may not love them like a lot of people do. I may like certain songs a lot and like the aspect of a gathering of the juggalos, but to have a net worth of $30 million, make a series of movies and TV shows and have a countless sold out weekend extravaganza every year. You can't say they're talentless, man. They bring an audience with them. They do bring an audience, but again, these are people, this is the biggest difference. These are people who want fame. Versus someone who doesn't want fame. Okay, and that's I'm not I'm not giving him a hard time for that. I'm not even no, giving no, no. him a hard time. I'm just saying the idea of a dude who's created a personality about growing up in a chicken coop is is just as far fetched as two fucking dudes from Detroit wearing grease paint on their face. It's all far fetched, man. Having seen both of them live, you've seen ICP I, live. I had to, I photographed ICP. Woop woop, man. Yeah, yeah. No, there was no woop whooping for me. I photographed it just so I could shoot Bone Thugs because the guy wanted a photographer for ICP and nobody wanted to do it, so I agreed to do it so I could shoot Bone Thugs. I in no way wanted to shoot ICP because, one, you risk getting your gear destroyed because of all this stupid... They had 27 cases of Fago they sprayed that night. The Juggalos themselves, as much as I generally don't like Juggalos... They seemed like decent people. I mean, no one was fighting. No one was... I think having a four-year-old there in Juggalo paint was kind of weird, but, you know. Girls walking around topless, people doing whippets freely and openly. <laughs> it was them, 3-6 Mafia, Mad Child. 3-6 uh, Mafia? Yeah, I, photo- <sighs> I photographed 3-6 Mafia. Mad Child. Uh, some other people that I don't know who the fuck they were. That sounds awesome. The album I'm going to give you for I cannot week, believe I'm fucking losing my hair. Do you understand how much this is starting to fucking affect me now? It's bothering me that I know I'm, I'm, I'm thinning on top. It, it bothers well, me. Do, can, can, can I say something, though? Not only are you thinning on top, look at your hairline. Look in the mirror. Look in the camera. Yeah, I know. I see it. Back. I see it. I see it, man. I see it. I see it. And, uh, I'm like Steven Seagal, dude. Just, just, just let it go, Doug. Just let it go. I can't. Look, you're probably not going to want to listen to this, but I want you to go into this with an open mind. I don't want to listen to half the stuff you recommend, but I listen to it because that's what a friend does for another friend. They do shit they want to do. But in fairness, I've ended up liking like three quarters of of what you've sent me, so. You're going to be listening to Taylor Swift's Folklore. Until now. 
You know what? When this is all said and done, you're going to tell me how good of an album it is. Oh, I highly doubt that. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to bitch, man. I'm not going to be that guy. That, but I guarantee... Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right this, now. It's going to be a fucking chore, that's for sure. So folklore, the idea about folklore is it's a story. It's a love triangle told from all three different perspectives. And it doesn't tell you that, but you figure it out along the way. Like, certain things get brought up again in different songs, and but you can tell it's from someone else's perspective. And I just thought it was a really well-written... And look, I was not a Taylor Swift fan. And everyone's like, oh, you gotta check this out. And I listened to it the night it dropped. And I was stunned at how much I enjoyed it. Because it's not poppy. It's very much like a folk album. So what do you got for me this week? I veered off there for a minute, just staring at what I thought was gray hair for the longest time, and now I'm realizing is like my fucking bald head underneath. <laughs> All right, um, for you, you're gonna listen to Noah Gunderson carry the ghost. Noah, like the white buffalo, uh, is somebody I got into through Sons of Anarchy. But I, I'll that's be where I heard him. But I'll be honest, uh, once I started listening to him, I've never stopped. What I liked about him was how I discovered him and how I started listening to all these EPs that he'd released and how they all had a very similar stripped-down folk sound to him, like a church brother, like family church band kind of thing. And then as he started veering off into his solo stuff, the sound started changing with every album. It went from like melodic to like country and folky to like rock to new wave synth 80s style music to like this beautiful romantic piano album that he did this last time i got to see him live uh september 2018 i saw him in detroit i saw him play a small club show with his sister playing violin and he was just him playing guitar he was touring with the album white noise which i was teetering with I, and I might still have you you listen to it as an assignment uh, down the road because it's it's a fat number one it's a phenomenal album but number two it's a fascinating thing to see to go from Carry the Ghost to to listen to what Carry the Ghost sounds like and then listen to White Noise and hear where he went to and where he's come it's so good yeah dude it's thinning, bro that's so goddamn disappointing just just shave it man shave it. Embrace it. Just let it go. I mean, did you think it was going to be there forever? I mean, did you constantly think you could do the John I, hair flip? I like going... I never did that. I like going to the barber, though, man. Like, I feel like I'm going to be getting rid of my ritual now. Like, once I start doing it myself, I'm not going to need to go to a barber anymore. And it just gets... Right. You'll you save gotta, money. You have to understand something, though. For me, it, Skylar... Skylar Joseph Dennison once said to me, there are three things I don't skimp on. Good food, good beer, and music. Okay. And when I think about things I don't skimp on, things that I, because I appreciate them, because I get something out of them, going to the barbershop is like one of those things I've been doing my entire life. And I don't, it's not just to get a haircut. It's, it's to hear other people talk. It's to have perspective. It's the conversation. And while, yes, I agree... I'll save money. Um, I feel like I'm losing something a little bit more than, than than just the 15 bucks in my hair. You know what I mean? Like once I start once I start doing it by myself with a razor, like I don't know, man. It just it's a 
it's an emotional thing for me, man. Like, I, I didn't realize it was going to hit me this fucking hard until I realized this morning that I, in fact, was losing my hair. And I'm like, <sighs> it's just something I have to come to terms with on my own, man. It's just not something I expected because I made it to 41 and, you know. So do, do me a favor. Take it. Take out your ponytail. Let it fall. And let me see how the like, pull your headset off. Well, it's going to be. Let it, it fall. It's been in a rubber band, so it's going to be all bunched up everywhere and, and naughty. No, I just want to see in the front and in the back how much it's actually thinning. Down. Now, to the sides like this. Oh. Part it. Okay, so headphones on. You're thinning directly in the middle. Yeah, that's I know. Where I see it. That's. I mean, so when you have it in your like, yeah, right oh, there. Yeah, I see it. I see it. When you have it in a ponytail, you can't see it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you I like, fucking see it. Dude, right, right there. You just look like Corey Taylor. That should be the screenshot. <laughs> you look like a really angry Corey Taylor after somebody just peed on him. I'm going to dye all of this jet black and just keep it parted off to the side. We'll see if I still have hair tomorrow or not. It would you will. Me, it would anger me considering I paid $20 last week to get it trimmed up. It would very much anger me if I shaved my fucking head. I know me, man. I'm, I'm as cheap as they come. I will stew with my hair in a ponytail. You know what's fucked up? You know what's really fucked up is I'm only now starting to realize that I'm losing my hair. Like, today was the day where it all clicked for me, and I figured it out. Like, holy fuck, I'm losing more than I think I am. And I've had my fucking hair up in a ponytail for at least a month and a half, and every fucking woman that I work with walking by me, hey, Doug, I really like your man bun. And I'm like, thanks. And I thought, well, maybe it's making a comeback. And I'm, they're making fun of me. Like now I'm a, I'm an I'm that fucking bald yoga fucking guy who lives by himself with with fucking tits, with, with fucking uh, gluten tits, and I have to keep my fucking balding ponytail up. I, I don't next think that's what's happening. And I'm starting to get like on a health kick, and I'm losing weight. The next thing you know, like I'm going to come up with something outlandish, like yeah, man, I really did like that Taylor Swift album. You know what else I'm doing? I signed up for a fucking kai, kaiju kempo class. I'm going to start learning martial arts, man. I think I'm going to keep the ponytail. It just kind of works, you know. Right now, when I'm hitting my bow staff, <laughs> I think you should do that. Oh, God damn it! This. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna go back to wearing a hat. Do you realize? Up until a month and a half, two months ago, when I started feeling confident enough to where I could pull it back in a comfortable ponytail, I stopped wearing a hat. Up until then, I wore a hat everywhere to work, to shopping, to my mom and dad's house. I wore. A, I didn't know what was going on because I had a hat on my head. No more. I don't want free hats from Napa. I don't want to punish your hat. I don't want a hat as a gift. You, your hats, care, people. There's going to be a lot of bleeps at the end of this podcast because this is a PG version of our podcast. It's just hair. I mean... To you, you it's just hair. You've been bald half your fucking life. I've had this by, forever. By choice, though. I got bored of dealing with my hair. so I, I didn't. It. I enjoy the ritual of taking care of my hair and flat ironing it and making it look pretty and putting nice smelling stop, product stop, on stop, it. Stop, stop, stop. Did you just say flat ironing your hair? You're goddamn right I flat iron my hair once a day. Not like the, not like with on on a board, but like a literal made ceramic hair iron that you buy at the like that women use, and men. 
<laughs> I don't understand a lot of modern fans. I don't understand a lot of fan, certain fan bases. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't... I'm obsessed with people like you. I'm obsessed with people like John and my brother and Tony and our, our friend Jason. I'm, in, I'm obsessed with people that I've had a chance to really get to know and really find interesting and find myself never getting bored with having a conversation. I may get irritated where I don't want to talk to you for a, few, for, for a couple hours or a couple days, but I never find myself not looking forward to talking to, to any one of those people. And I don't understand the obsession that, that, that a lot of these kids, and these, these, I'm not going to say kids, but because it's not just kids, but to me, 20-year-olds no. are kids now. To but, me, 25-year-olds are kids. Yeah, even maybe even 30-year-olds. But to me, like they're so obsessed... None of them. None of them actually really talk to each other in person. They're constantly talking through their phone, but they're obsessed with what the other person thinks or the other person's doing. And rather than just saying, "Hey, what are you thinking? What are you doing?" Like they, they, I do. You've seen me do it with my brother and and other people. Like I start to get in my head and obsess over various scenarios that could be a possibility of why this person didn't text me back within the first thirty minutes. You know what I mean? Like. I have to take a minute and take a breath and be like, okay, people are people got shit going on. Like they'll get a hold of you when they're ready to get a hold of you. This obsession right. of like, I know you so well, I can tell your fucking hairline. Like, get, you need a life. Like, you really need to figure out what makes you happy Look, as a person. I'm, I can't cry over spilt milk. I don't think I would ever cry over any milk, spilt um, or otherwise. Well, it is a, no. it is an interesting phrase considering though that you and I neither. Grew up in a in a depression type era where milk was like a hot commodity and a precious commodity. No, like I would cry over dropped bread, but it depends on what kind of bread. I'll be honest with you. This is the toughest. This is I. You gotta take a look at my fridge sometime, man. Like my fridge right now has apples, a bag of Fuji apples, uh, bananas, avocados. Cottage cheese, feta cheese, duck eggs, chicken eggs, all both farm fresh, a pack of turkey bacon, and sourdough English bread muffins. Um, the I also have a loaf of sourdough uh, toast. English muffins are overrated. I wait a minute. Are you saying you you think less of them? Is that how I'm understanding that phrase? Yes, as a, as opposed to say a biscuit, I would much rather have a biscuit than an English muffin. You like what you like, I like what I like. So, Tony, before we even get into this podcast, hey, I, don't know, I, I know nothing about you. I don't know you. Do you prefer biscuits or English muffins? Muffins, every day. Beard. See, what did I tell you, man? <laughs> it's, it's an overrated... Especially over since we can't get them in Japan, so... <laughs> Really miss English muffins. Fucking told you, man. Welcome to the show. That's Bob. I'm Doug. We have a guest today, a uh, childhood friend of mine, Tony. Uh, Tony Andrew, uh, I grew up with. So I've known I've known that was, Tony. That was close enough. That was close enough? All right, cool. Uh, I think there's like a delay between us, man. It almost feels like you're in Japan because of it. It's awesome. It's <laughs> funny. You guys should both be eating English muffins right now. God damn it. An hour, Bob. An hour. <laughs> so I've known Tony since uh, the sixth grade. I've known Tony more, uh, the better part of 20 plus years, I'd say. Um, uh, 
Uh, I met Tony when I moved uh, from Crystal Falls to Kingsford, Michigan, and I met him, uh, I think, shortly after seventh grade. I started in sixth grade, but I don't think I met you until around seventh grade. Um, But my my memory is very skewed. But I I met him through a mutual friend of ours, Jason Perdue, um, who is like kind of for – I don't speak for Tony. I'll speak for me is kind of like the center of where if, if a human being had an origin story of who they were now as a person, it starts with Jason. Uh, Jason's the reason I started listening to NWA and Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day and every every, every odd thing that a sixth grader wouldn't <coughs> think to listen to on his own. Like Jason was kind of like a Sherpa in sixth grade of, of art and music, and it was, it was a fascinating <laughs> person. And it was because of him that I ended up meeting Tony. And, and I don't know very much about the relationship you had with Jason after I moved to, to Florida, but I knew it grew. I don't, I don't necessarily know if Jason taught you music, taught you how to play guitar, but you guys made, uh, which it's going to be throughout this entire episode, uh, and I, I'm going to scatter a lot of dulcet and, uh, and, and fairy and, and, uh, and all, all that music that's on Bandcamp. I'm going to kind of scatter it through. I literally spent the morning taking notes and writing down songs and lyrics and shit, man. Because I, I, I'm gonna, I want to, I want to find a way to upload all that music to Spotify so I can curate a playlist to share with people, dude. Or you could just download your Bandcamp app. That's true. You could download, but that's the thing: is everybody's gonna get inundated with all kinds of apps, and I'm just trying to prevent people with, from that. But you're, it's a good point. You can just I, do the I, 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 I have a Bandcamp app. start the story of where I met Tony and how I know Tony and why we're friends to this day, we have to start at that beginning with Jason. You know what's crazy about the way you started talking about Jason is you said, I like that you said it was part of your origin story, because for me, as a producer, that's what I always tell people. Actually, meeting Jason is the whole reason I became a producer, because I was into music, and just like how he... like you to different bands and new music and new genres and things like that i i had the same experience um you know his dad marvin is a musician i'm sure you know taught him a lot when he was young and gave him a lot of influence for me like hanging out with both of them and learning music and just being around both of them i realized what was going on in jason that i had to learn how to capture and that's why i quickly like this is in the 90s when home recording was getting more and more popular and you could actually access the gear you know so i just dove like head first into that and did everything i could to capture what was coming out of jason because i just knew there was a fire there that i had to try to bottle because we were like 15 dude and you you've heard the music like the stuff that he was writing at 15 was not normal i have yet to find other music that was that deep and that rich you know being written by such a young person i love you all don't say goodbye I love you all 
always had he always had like a very deep like it, when I first met him he was drawing comics at a cafeteria table I met him th through Ian Bushy because I thought Ian Bushy was the coolest <laughs> I artist Ian. I met Ian because Ian I thought had a great comic book so he would draw cartoons and comics and I thought that was cool as shit and then he introduced me to Jason who was doing the same thing but like Jason was on another level with his art it was it wasn't refined but for our age in the concepts he was writing and the fucked up stories that he was coming up with and, and so hilarious that Beavis and Butthead MTV Image Comics Marvel era just it came out of this this kid that just kind of introduced me to all that shit I agree with you I think Marvin was a big influence because I remember spending a lot of time at, at Marvin's old house when they lived next to my grandmother's house and I remember Marvin being in a band and playing music that they recorded for us and then Jason going into the basement with his guitar and just playing me music he was writing. Like, he was teaching me how to play, like, opening notes to Smashing Pumpkin songs, but then he'd start playing music that he was actually writing himself, lyrics and everything. And I just, I, I kept, I remember scratching my head. I remember sitting in the room with Mike Swan. We were there one day listening to him, and I kept scratching my head thinking, I'm like, how does somebody do this? Like, and I, I'm watching it happen, but I don't understand where it's coming from. And it, to this day... It's so weird because I feel like I, I feel like my entire life I've tried to champion not just for him but for you. Um, when I moved to Florida, I started working for a radio station right out of high school as an intern, and I was able to get myself some shifts on like the rock, the rock night, the Sunday night extreme rock night, and we got to started playing like local band music. And I remember submitting like a couple dulcet tracks and getting them on the radio and getting to talk about it. And, you know, everybody thought it was like, you know, it's it's good. Like, the production's interesting. I'm like, well, they're starting out, but it's cool. Like, I fucking love that. I still love that fucking music. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes I, I, I metaphorically suck your dick a little too much, and, and I get lost in the, in the message of what I'm trying to go for. I think what what you were what you were trying to say is that it's a similar thing to what I always try to do is like spread the story about Jason and just who he was, through, you know, just the experiences that we've had together, but then also the music, you know, been yeah. a huge motivation for me is being able to continue on, you know, doing what he he can't do. I leave in '96. Uh, I basically spend all that time uh, soaking up as much as I can with Jason. But as you do when you get older, things change, life changes. And I left in 90, uh, 96 to go to Florida. And I spent 20 some odd years living in Florida before coming back here. I lost track of, of you guys for a little while as we got older. Um, I, I stayed in touch more with you. Jason, I, I think I've spoke to two or three times since I left uh left for Florida. I, I remember talking to him once when I, my first day of college, call, being able to get a hold of him. Uh, my mom said something was going on with Jason. I can't remember what it was, but I called him and he was with Nick Mangini and Nick was being a dick and hanging up the phone continuously. So I just gave up and went to class. And then I got to see Jason <laughs> one more time. Um, one more time in my life 
and I, I want to say it might have been a year or two before he died, um, I came back to visit family, and I had been in touch with him, and I think he was staying with his mom. He was working up at Pine Mountain, I believe. He had a CD full of new music that you guys had recorded that I hadn't, hadn't heard, and he's like, I got a CD for you. you got, we got to get together. I got to see him for a little bit, and he gave me the CD. And I wonder if I will sleep. That was the last time I ever saw him, and then I got a phone call letting me know that he was gone, and um, and that's kind of where where it stopped for for me with Jason was I never really got I got to I've got to see his dad Marvin and his sister Emily many times over since then, and uh, it's been wonderful talking to them, but I'm curious now uh, where after I left, what happened. Not just between with you guys, but like what happened to you? Like, how did you, what happened after high school? How did you get to Japan? I want to know it all. So I'm going to shut my fucking mouth and I'm going to let you go, buddy. <laughs> um, well, I guess pick it up from there. Um, after high school, we all tried to actually move up to Minneapolis and like make it in the big city and shit. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this. Yeah. And that lasted about six months, and then little by little, people started moving back. And then, uh, point where it was like our drummer, myself, and then just one friend who just came out just for the ride, like just, just to see where this thing was going. <laughs> we were the only ones left, and the rest of the band was like split up. And I was like working at a shitty gas station, and some dude comes in at like in the morning. You know, I'm working midnight shift. And, like, robbed me for cigarettes. Like, it's 2 in the morning in Minneapolis, and I just got robbed for cigarettes. I, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I joined the Marine Corps, <laughs> which is, like, the most ridiculous thing you could imagine me doing at the time. Because I'm, like, long hair, had been playing in grunge bands, you know, all through high school, and was, like, like a, a big government guy, I guess you could say. <laughs> I get you seemed like it seemed like one of those moves that was just extreme enough to get me the fuck out of the situation that i was in and it definitely did that and um so i ended up yeah i joined the marine corps and then i went to okinawa japan as my one and only duty station and i never left man like i've been there for 20 years now <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i did five years in the marine corps and then i was like thanks for the ride i think i'm gonna stay in japan and then uh, just separated on island doing like it work for a little while and then around 2012 i just stopped i was like i'm done i'm gonna do music full-time now i'm done doing the government work i'm done you know contracting all that shit so focus purely 100 percent on music from 2012 on first got to okinawa i was playing in bands and stuff anyways like i started a band where I, that was the first time i was singing because jason and i had stayed in contact the whole time I was in Japan to work on much because I could tell he was getting more deeply into his like occult and like writing phase like he was really into writing these long like 30 40 page poems like crazy weird like OTO stuff you know what I mean I like remember, Aleister Crowley I remember much Aleister Crowley in his 
reading diet. He had like a bunch of books. I was amazed by how much writing he had done. Yeah, yeah. I've published a bunch of books too. That was like, yeah, early 2000s. That was when I first got to Japan. So I was not to stop making music, you know, and that was me first experience like making music separately from jason because he was getting more deep into his occult stuff and i was like well i'm just into the music <laughs> like i love art art is art you know whatever style art you like but for me i just love music like it just resonates with me religion <laughs> i agree so you've been doing music there for the last uh 11 years nine years full full time full time yeah okay so Doug has told me you do music, but Doug has not told me anything about any type of music you do because Doug is a shitty friend. No, Doug's and a fucking for... stoner who doesn't understand everything, <laughs> and we'd rather have him explain it himself. Jerk. <laughs> when I got into producing the stuff that uh, Jay and I were making, you know, a lot of that stuff was just grunge, experimental, lo-fi stuff. Yeah, I didn't. You know, at the time, I wasn't aware of the whole West Coast lo-fi movement with, you know, guys doing stuff on, like, old four tracks and stuff like that. But we definitely had that sound unintentionally. Like, that was what we were doing. We just didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sets. It's one of my favorite things, to, and I'll share it with you, Bob. I'll put it in the podcast, the link for the band camp, but it's one of my favorite things about listening to that is the sound. Like, it, it may... It's it's funny how we talk about this a lot. It's funny how music can transport you mentally back to a time, not just a time and place, but a certain time and place and a certain memory. And it's anytime I listen to some of that old production on those those these songs and that it, it takes me back to certain moments in time with you guys, man. When we were kids. It's it's fascinating. That's how I feel when I listen to my friend Justin's old band, uh, Fungool. And it was an old punk band from when we were in high school, and they were four track. And they were going to get signed. Uh, they were set to do a seven inch with less than Jake. And then the bass player was like, I don't want to do anything anymore. And the singer said, well, I think I'm going to go try to date this girl in New York. And that was the end of the band. That was just it. Oh, my God. Like, right before they got signed, they just fell apart. Funny, as long as I've been doing music, though, I've always been very independent. Like, very underground. Never even considered, like, getting signed as being a possibility. That's what I love yeah, about I, you. When I say getting signed, though, I'm talking, like, doing split seven inches. I'm not talking, like, like a major label. I'm talking, like... Punk rock uh, shit. Like, yeah. Like very... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, long before Fueled by Ramen was a thing, you know? <laughs> So I'm very used to watching people record on four tracks and I've got mm. some friends who are in the music industry and I've gotten to Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Does does Andrew WK follow you on Twitter, fuckface? <laughs> are you man, friends? I, I can't help it that that bothers you so much. Mm, <laughs> you have no idea. It bothers me less that he's marrying Kat Dennings and more that he follows you for no fucking foreseeable reason. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to tag him in every episode that you talk about Ooh, him in. Ooh, 
I hope so, man. <laughs> I want him to teach me how to grow a power mullet with the remaining hair that I do have. It, uh, it's called not cutting it. That, that's generally how you grow one of those. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> All right. So I, I was talking to a friend recently. Um, they were going to L.A. to do mastering. And I needed somebody to explain to me the difference between mixing and mastering. Because as someone who's not in the business, I don't know what the difference is. I just know there are two processes that happen before the record comes out. So that's all very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got really into the engineering side of it early on. Um, you know, learning all like the home recording gear that was coming out at the time. My first digital recorder that I got was a Roland BS840 that would record on 100 meg zip discs, which was Hello. hilarious. Fuck, I forgot about those. Those are 10 bucks a piece in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, zip discs were great. Hundreds of those things. Those projects on that thing, I think, could do a total of like. 32 tracks be used all the virtual tracks whatever but you could load up a song that had realistically 20 tracks going like on one of those and it would fill up your 100 meg zip disc see now i have so many questions with you being a producer about bands i'm going to use pantera as a good example so you listen to any pantera album you hear seven fucking guitars but yet live there's one guitarist. What are your thoughts on people constantly playing the uh, multiple backing tracks, not just one? It's a tough question because we're living in an era now where these are the main type of performer. You know, that's like the big popular thing now is DJs and just playing the backing track. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's Sometimes, it. Rarely, they'll be playing, like, one keyboard part on top of the backing track, but really, like, all they're doing is the backing track. So, I over the years, because I came from that grunge-slash-punk background, you know, the lo-fi background, where it's like, if you're not playing instrument on stage, you know, you're not a band, and over the years, I've kind of let that go, and become more accepting and understanding that it's about the show, it's about mm. the... The entire night's performance is not necessarily about the integrity of your musicianship. So about the experience <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah, because people are paying money, you know? Like, they're taking the night off, they might get a babysitter, like, all that shit. So you got to make sure it's it's worth the money. So in that respect, I, I understand why bands do it. It just depends. Like, is, is the music that they make... Like, in the studio, you know, like, are, are they actually hiring, like, a whole band to do it for them and doing, like, a Milli Vanilli thing? Or, you know, like, as long as they're making the music themselves and some kind of little dance and maybe pushing some buttons on the stage, I think it's still a show, yeah. you know? <laughs> no, I'm fine with it. I just, I remember being a kid and listening to, like, different tracks and I'm like, why is there so many guitars when there's one guitarist? That doesn't make any sense. Well, and then another part of it is kind of like with the mastering thing that you brought up, three, like, wars that happen, like, especially in the 90s, you had the, the guitar tone wars, where people were just getting really, really deep and detailed about guitar tone and making those multiple layers so that you get this, like, one fat chunky distorted tone that you know nobody else can make because we got you know this many digital layers and this many tube am ampl amplifier layers and you know what i mean and then they're doing the artificial harmonics and yeah 
And it's just ultimately just trying to make the the track that the consumer is going to listen to over and over and over again multiple times sound as perfect as possible. Now, see, I've never I've never put a lot of thought into it. I've got a a, a meat brain. I got a monkey brain. So I put music in my ears to kind of like Bob does a lot. I to set my mood to kind of bring me to a place I want to go to or whatever. Help me sort shit out or meditate. Um, and I don't understand, like, like I, I understand what you guys are saying, but it's funny because, like, I don't think about that kind of stuff. The closest I ever came is I remember staying, when I first met Bob, he's always been, like, a big audio dude, like, into tech and stuff. And I remember when I first met you, you had this huge surround sound setup, like a digital surround. It was wired. This is before wireless and shit. And I remember- so I was, running, I was running, like, DVD audio and super audio CD when those formats were still available. And so he'd never heard, like... Downward. Music was that was mixed for surround sound. You put I on, know exactly yeah, where yeah, he's yeah, going. Yeah. You put on Nine Inch Nails, and I remember my mind being blown at the intricacies of of every instrument uh. used on that. Like I, the shit that you don't pay attention to when you're not really listening to quality sh- gear to hear it with. You know, it's fascinating shit, man. Early two thousands, Bob. Yes, that would have been two thousand. Two two thousand three SACD and DVDA. DVDA is a horrible name so for it, when... but <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And Nine Inch Nails released, I think, with teeth in five point one, and then they did a remastering of the Downward Spiral. Spiral. They were like Louis Armstrong did some. They re-released some of Louis Armstrong stuff that way. But, I mean, the entire catalog was, like, 34 albums. There was very little SACD or digital. Uh, YouTube did a couple. I think Boy was released in SACD. Yeah, there wasn't much put out that way, and it's unfortunate because it was a great way to listen to music. Best way to me other than a really nice pair of headphones. Well, it looks like iTunes is trying to create a new surround format or promote a new surround format. From Their spatial iTunes. audio. It's basically Atmos remixed to headphones is what I'm gathering. I just didn't know how they were doing it because it's like at the end of the day, you only have two channels. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going for, but um, a friend of mine just asked a band like, "Hey, can we get some of your tracks remixed for Apple Spatial Audio?" And he's like, "Let me look into the logistics of that." He's like, "I don't know if it's worth the time or the money to go in and remix this stuff for what we're going to get paid to do it." it happens it's a lot like, of times with these gimmicky formats. It's like, yeah. At the end of the day, people listen to music on two channels. Yeah. You know, all these other ones are great. It's super cool, but it's never going to really make mass adoption. No, no, it won't. You know what will? 3D televisions. Mark my word, they're making a comeback. <laughs> I promise you they are not. I, I promise you they are not. <laughs> just just like not. this isn't coming back? <laughs> <laughs> You have a better chance of that coming back naturally than you do a 3D TV coming back. Not Avatar 2, 3, 4, or 5 can save that shit. I worked with a guy who bought one factory model right off the line, and it was his proudest moment. He wouldn't shut up about it for a week, and then the next year he stopped talking about TV altogether. (laughs) Yeah. It was like... I like... I loved personally the idea of curved TVs. It makes sense as a viewing option if you're alone. However, if the three of us are in a room and I took the middle seat, you two are fucked. You know, it's just, it's good for personal viewing only. Unless you've got like an 86 inch. 
and then you can kind of work your way around it. But they only ever made it up to 65 inches, so it didn't matter. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the tech nerd said, of the Bob, two. I'm curious about your opinion on VR adoption. We're going to reach mass adoption? I think it will, but unfortunately, as Doug knows, it will not for me. Yeah, Bob, I, vertigo. I, I have, like, the worst case of vertigo of any human to ever walk the Earth. The other part is the headsets are going to have to have better resolution. Like, his, his PS4 headset has 720p, and... That's just not going to cut it for mass market nowadays. But for a dipshit stoner like me, it's awesome, dude. I'm going to send you a. I'm going to send you a Virtual Boy. Send me an Oculus Quest, please. I want to get the Resident Evil Four virtual reality coming out. That's not coming out for like another year. I still need the Oculus. There's other games I can play. Send me one. How about you wait and see if the Oculus Quest isn't upgraded just for that game before you buy an Oculus Quest. I'm saving my money anyway, because the way he's made Japan sound to me in the last two days, I think I want to go to Japan and not look back. I think I'd clean up over in Japan, man. I'd be bigger than Sumo. <laughs> I think you misunderestimate Sumo. The cultural impact and, of it and how, and, how big of a thing it I, is? I don't think I, I do. And I promise you, you will not be as big as Marty Friedman. Give it time. <laughs> give, give it time. He comes down to Okinawa, even. See? See? And Doug's like, who's Marty yeah. Friedman? I'll become the next Mick Foley. I'll start wrestling in death matches down there. I don't give a shit. I'll jump into barbed wire, man. Fight guys with I, dead fish. I don't I don't think you will. Okay. Okay. Keep keep disagreeing with me. See what happens. I'm gonna leave this podcast for something better. Way out uh where's Japan? East? Is it east? Southeast? Christ. I'm not good I'm with good. geography. I, I'm going to fight people with fish in a country I don't know where it's at. East Coast. East Coast. Okay. I can handle it. No, I bring up Marty Friedman because he was a well-loved musician here, and then he, when he went to Japan, he just took the fuck off. Oh, okay. I thought he was a wrestler. My bad. I didn't know who he was. like Marty a cult Friedman. icon. Yeah, like he, he, he was on a television show, and he got so annoyed that he was known more for that show than his music, and then he's like, he said, I realized one day... It doesn't matter. All these people know who I am. They love me. They love my music. I don't care if they love the show. He's like, if that's why they know me, that's fine. But it still gets my music out there. This Marty Friedman used to play for Megadeth. He was part of the Rust in Peace lineup. Oh, okay, okay. And he left Megadeth and he went to Japan and he just has been a virtuoso over there for 20-something years now. A lot of anime music. Mm-hmm. Well, I was surprised when I, when you and I first reconnected after I started moved back up here. I was surprised at how much like I don't even know what you'd call it. Like it almost seemed like industrial punk what you were doing. Like how big of a scene that seemed to be. It's just fascinating to see what other cultures t- uh, take. You know. Well, that's an interesting just result of Okinawa's music scene. One of the main reasons why I stayed in Okinawa, of course, was the weather, being a Uber on a tropical island, loving the shit out of that. <laughs> but <laughs> the other reason why is because Okinawa's music scene is very unique in that this is where, you know, because of the war, because of all the military bases, there's a particular street next to a big air base there, uh, Kadena Air Base. It's called Gate 2 Street. And it's like the party district. And it's the party district since after the war. It's like ground zero for where both cultures like musically really started to connect and and share ideas 
and it's all it all happened right on the street and there's when even when i got there in 2001 there was tons of live houses and clubs and it's since become a pretty like version of itself over the last 20 years as live music has gotten less popular and more like club music has become the thing but it's still very much uh, a cultural hub in okinawa and in, and in japan for music especially and what's unique about okinawa is that there's a metal scene there and there's just always been a metal scene there you know since i've been there and there's like really good hardcore like new york style hardcore bands for whatever reason and like straight up like metal like lamb of god type shit you know it's one of like, the reasons why a lot of the projects i was involved in were just really heavy hearing you talk about you said it's second gate second gate street two two gate or gate two gate two it hearing you talk about that reminds me of hearing somebody talk about like uh gilman street in berkeley or hate street in san francisco where everything just happens in this one small region and blows up from there because i mean you think of Pop Ivy, Rancid, uh, all the Bay Area bands were all on Gilman Street. You know, for for at least for punk. It was when I realized that after being there for so long, when that idea dawned on me that oh, this is like the spot where the two cultures, you know, made that connection with music and with live entertainment and stuff. That really got the gears turning on. Okay, how can I like? highlight that fact right there just like what you were saying how all across the world especially in the states um there's certain regions where scenes come out of you know and it's very specific to a region it's very like geographically you know contained that area that gate two street area in the okinawan language is called koza name of the village so created a brand while i was there um called neo koza and focus of that brand was purely just to create promotional content like not ads but like create like a, a youtube page an instagram page just to promote the area and it was purely just to promote this scene that's in that area over the last 20 years i watched it go from a really strong great live scene to now kind of just like a, a nightclub you know tech scene you know <laughs> seen as kind of like died down in a way so we tried to really spend some time like finding the bands that were playing and then also creating shows you know based around these bands that had styles and then you know making videos for them like creating these these live events for streaming and stuff like that we really spent the last few years before corona pushing that project and that was like you know like a community project really uh rona happened and all that shit's gone now <laughs> Such a bummer. I'll say, you asked me if I thought that VR would make mass market, and I can't think of the name, so I'm going to come off as an asshole right now. But it's something that is huge in Japan, where people go to these shows to watch virtual entertainers, like thirty foot high anime singing characters. Do you think that kind of thing? That's a real thing. Gonna... Yes, dude. I got to go to Japan. That sounds awesome. I didn't like know that that out, was a real they, thing. They, they sell out stadiums, dude. And there's no one actually on stage. And I'm curious like, if that kind of thing will ever reach outside of that market. I mean, the closest that ever really happened here was like the Tupac hologram. Can you imagine a 30-foot Tupac show? 
I don't want to imagine a 30-foot Tupac. Dude. <laughs> I think that would be dope as shit, but man. You know, you know what I'm referring to, though, right? Yeah. I never thought about that, man. It's funny to see what translates and what doesn't translate, you know, in and outside of Japan. There's certain things that, like, Japan is very particular about. Like, in design, they say Japanese consumers like very complex design ideas. They like busy and very complicated whereas uh in the u.s we like it very like simple and minimalist to think like that's a japanese consumer thing like that they're willing to pay for those shows or if it would actually work in the states yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah I was, i'm just i'm curious I, I didn't i didn't know doug had never heard of it there's one that's Sounds super amazing. popular and i can't remember the name of the artist but i watched several videos of this artist selling out giant stadiums and i'm just like it's a cool looking show but i don't know if i would pay money to go watch what is in effect a pre-recorded cartoon with a bunch of other people i, I think it would be fun i don't know um i almost i know of, you would i kind of think i i would almost guarantee i would because i've paid money to go to pink floyd laser light shows on acid so i would absolutely pay to see a 30 foot cgi show that would be amazing i went to that show too but i wasn't on acid i was on mushrooms but that, that sounds even more fun it was until they were wearing off and i had to yell like can you please hurry up this shit's wearing off because they were doing the well, you want to hear one more track i'm like yeah hurry the yeah! fuck up I'm laying on a floor, staring up at a ceiling, probably covered in piss, because who knows what's happened in that room. Best days of your life, I say. No. No. (laughs) No, it's not the best time of my life. Laying on your back, getting pissed on? Come on, man. Those are stories you'll tell your grandkids. (laughs) Those are stories I'll tell your grandkids. You were doing the the music scene, and and Corona happened, and then you also started doing a graphic novel, which I fucking loved... When you told me you were doing it, that's an absolute thing that I tie back to Jason because I remember all of us in his mom's house reading comic books and shit that he had. I remember he had those rock comics, like the Nirvana Nirvana comic and shit like that. Yeah, the old Ninja Turtle ones. Yep, and the Max and all that shit. And, uh, and and I thought that was so fucking cool when you told me you started doing your own graphic novel, and I'm curious as to how that came about. Since... 2012, I'd always, I guess, maintained a uh, persona or identity for own personal music, because I like doing music with other people. I like doing projects with other artists, so that's why I've always considered myself just a producer, but I also make shit that's just for me as well, so I, you know, I built this um, called Shamanic Ape, and that's my performance name when I actually perform my own stuff that I'm making and I just use you know simple DJ gear sometimes I'll do some performances on a Ableton push which is kind of like a a giant sampler that you can also play as an instrument but it's just really easy simple performance setup that way I can like travel anywhere you know what I mean throw a couple things in my backpack and really perform anywhere and also like I said give a home for songs that I make that are just for me and um, so I've always maintained that and always, you know, done little shows and events here and there on the side. But once Corona happened, I was like, okay, well, it doesn't make sense to maintain a 
six-piece live band during a global pandemic. So I'm going to go back to making my own shit. And uh, it just so happened that one of the artists, he's a hip-hop artist based out of Brooklyn. Uh, his name is Sonny Hayes. Well, he's one of the artists that I've been working with in Japan for a while. Um, he was there for a few years. Now he's back in, in Brooklyn. But him and I had always uh, written together in the studio, like actually songwriting for other artists. So we'll we'll do stuff like we'll make a song and he'll make like lyrics and stuff and we'll kind of collaborate on a song for other artists that we work with because he's a really good songwriter and I'm pretty fast at making beats and arranging and stuff. So we have a, like a pretty efficient system together. Him and I, you know, being into writing and always talking about writing, we had been talking about this idea of making a story for a comic book for a while. And it just so happened we met the new CEO of Heavy Metal, this guy named Matt Medney. We pitched him the idea and he thought it was super cool and then hooked us up with a company to actually produce the comic. It was a really fun process. I learned a whole bunch of shit about the comic book industry that I definitely never knew. You know, I've always been a fan, but I didn't know how comics were made until this last year. One of those super nerdy dad dad boner things, but like the thing that I got excited about was just like the coordination, the management of the project itself, I thought was really interesting because kid and you're reading a comic, you think, oh, the guy who wrote the story also drew all the pictures and then, like, made the cover and, like, you know what I mean? Got someone to, to print it and then it's done. After going through this whole thing this last year, I learned, like, okay, like any other project, you know, there's somebody in the middle kind of managing all these external entities. And they had Honey and I and we had a third writer, this guy named uh, Stephen McFarlane. We wrote the story. Them a script in a, you know, in a comic book format, in the format that they wanted us to. To provide it and then they actually provided us like views of artists like in their art style so it was like here's this guy's style here's this guy's style you know here's this girl's style and we were able to basically choose how we wanted our comic book to look based off of these artists different styles and they had many many options i was like oh shit these guys work with a lot of artists so then if you know we choose that person they send them the info about the project and if they take the contract then they're on the project and then it goes forward and then they have separate people for you know cover separate people for like doing all the text and all the you know the word mm -hmm. bubbles and all that stuff it's many many people on the team i never in my you know my whole life would have thought that it took this many people to make a comic book <laughs> i never that sounds like a factory like how comics are made like in a in a meat factory almost but just like a digital that's just i never would have guessed that too <laughs> very modular yeah yeah well i mean you've got your your penciler your inker you know the inker adds depth and shading he's not just a fucking tracer I'll put my pencil through your fucking thorax. <laughs> Back when we were kids watching that, they never really showed it, showed us or told us anything like that. I'm sure it was done way differently, but I think the most I ever saw was like promotional Marvel videos at like the comic book store occasionally of like Todd McFarlane sketching out Spider-Man, you know, like like he said, that's kind of what my mentality was. Like, oh yeah, dude just sits there, writes it out, his buddy writes the story, and then boom, ink it and print it. And if your kiss put a couple drops of blood into the ink. Or as I call them, the parents. So yeah, well, we, kid, um... <laughs> What'd you just say? I said kiss, or as I like to call them, the parents, the parents of uh, Coheed and Cambria, the grandparents of Coheed and Cambria. I would 
relate them more to ICP with the face paint, but you know, teach their own. The great Malenko. I think you got you, Doug. It's all good, man. It's because we're fam. <laughs> whoop whoop, man. One of the things that when we started this project, Sonny and I wanted to make sure we had different art styles. We very much uh, have different types of comics that we're into. So Sonny wanted that like classic, clean American comic look. And uh, if you look at his books, you'll see it definitely has that look. But I told him I wanted like that gritty early 90s image comic look, like the, the early Dark Horse type stuff. So the artists that we found have two very unique styles actually work pretty well together. Like I was I was surprised at how well they work together. They kind of complement each other. I love the artwork for that for that graphic novel. You have it set up now as like a, as a website exclusively, like all digital. What we did was when we first launch the pre-orders we have a member site and then we give exclusive content through the member site you know we'll release tracks and videos and interviews and things like that and the member site well, there's a paywall but it's a five dollar paywall so we're basically just saying hey buy us a beer not even once a month like just once just buy us a beer once yeah <laughs> and you can have you know all the free videos and music and shit um so we had a link on the member site to order copies because we had the first 100 prints that we had packaged and signed as a separate thing. So that's what we had available for pre-order, but now both books are available individually for order on the site. So if you go to carniverse.com, that's where the books are available. Okay. Name of the series is the, the Carniverse Saga. We came up with this idea of living as a musician is a lot like being a carny. You're constantly traveling. It's all about, you know, just like entertainment the masses moving on to the next show and you live this like very transient type of lifestyle too we kept like pulling all these connections between being a musician and being a carny and then what i was also looking at how like the culture is becoming more of a thing again it's a lot like the carnival you know they even have like ferris wheels and shit like that at festivals now we tried to pull those ideas into a, a narrative storyline and then we spent several months actually building out just like the physics of the universe like different, you know, background stories of things that happen. How did the universe come into existence and all those type of things. Once that was solid and we felt like we had a good foundational universe built, then we wrote the stories and then are continuing to write, you know, the individual storyline. The idea of Carniverse is it's, it's an open universe. So we can fit other characters into it. It's not just about my character or Sonny's character. We're just two characters in the Carniverse and then there's many different things happening within that universe that will get rolled out through the website uh through video products and then through the comic books fucking awesome i grew up with that dude <laughs> actually you and i were the ones that we got into comic books together like you really got me into comics because i used to go over to your house after school we would sit and we would just look at comic books together Really? I never knew that. I mean, I knew that we hung out and shit, but I didn't know I was the catalyst for that. I wasn't that into comic books until <laughs> I hung out with you. That was like the best. And that's, to me personally, that's the, like, I'll go on about comic books and wrestling at fucking if you don't stop me. But like, that era. Trust me. I will, I will stop you. That, <laughs> that era that, we're, that we grew up in that early, I would say late, 80, early, late 80s, early to mid 90s era of comics was some of the most memorable era. I'm like, it. Good and bad, but like, not and not even just the comics themselves, but like 
the DNA behind getting a comic book, being a kid, like I, I, I speak for myself, but like the era we grew up in, the town we grew up in, we had powerhouse comics, easy reader comics, and we had a couple other comic book stores over that Tom that Bergeron owned over by the library. I can't think of the name. Fred, of it. Yeah, Fred had his spot. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't. That spot. He had that one, and then there was one across from where Domino's used to be over by Kresge's that was never open. Like, they closed down because nobody ever worked there. What's a Kresge's? In the town we grew up in, uh, Kresge's was a department store. And back in the day, my mother uh, was a waitress at Kresge's. Basically, you'd walk in if you wanted to get clothes, like uh, Kmart-style clothes for your kids or those plastic vinyl Halloween costumes with the masks or star wars toys you could get it was basically like a woolworth like a like a small walmart but when you walked in there was like a food counter and they made fresh donuts they made amazing breck but it was all cooked in lard and fried fat and grease but it was just that it was i'm sorry i know I, I that was an over explanation for what you wanted to know it was a department store in our town <laughs> well you lost me when you said it was a department store and my mom was a waitress so my mom two, worked there behind the counter <laughs> yeah you're right generally generally don't go together you're right you're right is my she rollerblading too i mean is it Jackrabbit Slims? When I was a kid, my mom wait, uh, was worked behind the counter there. She was a waitress, and I would spend a lot of times hanging out because she didn't have money for a sitter, and I would just sit and look through toys and Halloween costumes and cassette tapes. And eat lard. And eat donut. Though, dude, you don't fucking talk shit until you've had a donut that's been cooked in fat. That's le- the way to eat a fucking donut. That's the legitimate... Doug, I'm a fat guy. I'm sure at some point in my life I've had a donut that's been made in fat. I don't know that I have, but guessing by the amount of donuts I've consumed in my lifetime, at least one of them, odds are in the favor that I've had something to that degree. I don't think about these things, man. You make me feel self-conscious about my brain. (laughs) You? I'm the one with mental issues. Are you kidding me? I think we both are pretty fucking crazy, if I'm being honest. It's, it's the LSD. <laughs> but, uh, I agree with you, Doug. That era, like the late 80s, early 90s, man, it was like that was when a lot more independent comics were coming out and a lot wilder storylines were being allowed to actually be made into comic books. Okay, so I have a quick question for both of you. Since you mentioned that time frame is your time frame for indie comics... What was the first indie comic you remember reading? Uh, I mean, do you consider Image independent? At the time, yeah. At the time, absolutely. The Max was pretty crazy. I remember when when Jason first started bringing the Max issues. I was like, that's pretty cool. And I started getting into that, yeah. To this day, that is the same for me. It's, it's, It's my... I love that comic book so much, I got a page of it tattooed on my fucking arm, dude. Oh shit, dude! I love. I didn't even realize that was the Max. Yeah, I fucking love the Max. I remember walking into Powerhouse Comics after school one day, and when when Jason told me we had a comic book store across the street from school, and I remember taking pop can money, and I going into that originally to play Street Fighter Two. They had that arcade of Street Fighter Two in the back corner there, and that's the reason I went was to play video games. And then this guy worked me on the counter said, "Do you read comics?" And I'm like, "Not really." And he's like, "Well, check this comic." And I remember him recommending issue two of the max had just came out and he's like this is issue two start with issue one and i remember bringing that to sixth grade and reading that and then seeing jason have the same comics and 
putting two and two. But I agree with with Tony. Like that is to me my be all end all comic was the Max. So this is where our age difference comes into play. My first foray into underground comics, if you will, was Cerebus the Aardvark. I remember reading Cerebus the Aardvark in the fourth grade. And if you look at the history of Cerebus, he never went mainstream. He's like, I'm just going to do this, and then I'm done. Cerebus traveled through time, if my memory is right. It was all set during different periods, and I got into it during Cerebus, the Samurai Aardvark. That was back when Ninja Turtles was still black and white, and my oldest issue of Ninja Turtles that I still own is Ninja Turtles. The original Ninja Turtles number 10. Those books but, were yeah. violent as hell. Those old Ninja Turtles, those original ones were so fucking violent. Yeah, they were cool as fuck. My buddy Nate, he had Ninja Turtles number 1. It had no cover. First print with no cover. And I remember reading it, and Shredder dies at the end, and then years later, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were like, we didn't know what to do. We killed the main nemesis in the first fucking issue. We, we weren't really thinking ahead. <laughs> And so we had to get really creative. It's like there was never supposed to be space rhinoceroses and shit. He's like that wasn't supposed to be part of it. Passenger gets in the car. First thing he says to me is like, "I'm gay." I'm like, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Me and my boyfriend had a fight. Obviously, you want to talk about this. So, what did you fight about?" He's like, "I'm I'm skinny and he's not." He's like, "Yeah, that's what the fight was about." Can you take me to this bar? I'm like. Yep. On the way there, he must have asked me ten times, where are we going? I'm like, the bar you requested. Oh. He's like, where did you pick me up from? I'm like, this address. He's like, that's my house. I probably should have stayed there. I'm like, probably should have. He's like, can you pick me back up? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. So that's a good way to say goodbye to a guest. <laughs> it was a funny story, dude. It's a good story. <laughs> Where are you going from here? Uh, the tour kicks off in July now. We had some dates shift around. So stuff got pushed back later in the year. So from July to October, the first leg of the tour, uh, <clears throat> we will kick it off in Indianapolis. Nice. And in Vegas in October. So by October, we'll be touring. We'll be um, all of... I'll be in Florida. I'm going to be going back and forth between Atlanta and Orlando. Tony, I love you, man. It's been great talking to you. I'm happy to have you back on. I hope you have a safe travel, my friend. It's good to see you as always. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe, brother. Get it. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks for yours. This has been Bob and Doug. And we have seen... No, we have definitely saved you from boredom today. I think this was a good episode. I, and I think once you started, like, I like list. I don't necessarily know a lot about, like, engineering or music or anything like that or sound the way you guys do, but I love listening to two people who know what they're talking about talking about that shit. I, I know a little bit, not anything like he knows, but, you know, that was fun. Right on, man. Right on.
Like a purity in me It is you 